It's Philosophy Talk. Let's take a very famous poetic statement, Wallace Stevens, death is the mother of beauty. Poetry as a way of knowing. That is a poetic truth. It is a human truth. I am not sure it is provable in the way of science or mathematics. Is poetry a way of knowing things that we can't get at with more ordinary forms of thinking and talking? Somehow that quality of sound presence, when you hear the sound of your own thoughts, you think differently. Our guest is poet, translator, and essayist Jane Hirschfield. The word know in the Bible is erotic. It is carnal, physical, intimate, and personal. So when you talk about knowledge and poetry, I say I'm with you all the way. Recorded live at the Marsh Theater in Berkeley. Poetry as a way of knowing. If other things could do it, we wouldn't need poems. Coming up on Philosophy Talk. This is Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the Marsh Theater, the Bay Area's breeding ground for new performance. But our thinking started across the Bay at Stanford University, where Ken and I teach philosophy. Welcome, everyone, to Philosophy Talk. Our topic today is poetry, in particular, poetry as a way of knowing. Ken, we're just getting started, and I think you're already off the rails. Poetry's not in the business of producing knowledge, and if it were, I mean, what kind of knowledge would it be? Poetry is about capturing impressions, expressing feelings. It's not about explaining things and describing things. It's not about stating facts. That's what science is for. Yeah, and you, you surprise me. You, you have such a limited vision of knowledge. I mean, why, why think that science is the only way of knowing the world? I mean, lots of things we know that science doesn't tell us. Lots of things. Well, yeah. I mean, you know how to ride a bike. You didn't learn that by studying biology. You know how to bake a souffle. Well, you probably don't, but if you did, you wouldn't have gotten <laughs> it through science. So are there, there are things that we... Science doesn't tell us. I grant you that. Well, right. You know, that's an important kind of thing you're talking about. Those are practical skills, or what philosophers like to call know-how. And science mostly doesn't deal in know-how. It deals in what we call propositional knowledge, knowledge of the facts. But I don't see what this distinction between knowledge of the facts and know-how has to do with poetry, in your, in your view. Well, I'll grant you that if you read a lot of poetry, you'll develop some know-how, or at least it should. Uh, you'll learn how to interpret a poem. You may learn how to identify and understand metaphors. You may learn about meter. Uh, maybe if you read enough poetry and work hard enough, you'll develop another skill, writing poetry. So in that way, poetry could be a way of knowing, knowing how. Yeah, okay, I, that's a really big concession on your part. Okay, I mean, if all we learned from poetry was, well how to read and write poetry and nothing else, that wouldn't make poetry very interesting. I mean, that would be like saying, okay, you're going to learn how to ride a bike. And why do you learn how to ride a bike? Well, just to know how to ride a bike. But look, ride, learning how to ride a bike has all kinds of other rewards. Like it, it gets, helps get you fed, helps you take in scenery, helps you get from place to place without uh, wasting resources. And I think whatever know-how is involved in poetry, there's a lot besides just knowing how to read and write poetry. There's more to it than that, don't you think? Well, I don't know. It still sounds to me like you're telling us that poetry 
history is a way of getting propositional knowledge, that its job is to tell us facts about the world, to describe and explain things in the way that science does, and that doesn't seem right. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to commit myself there. Maybe poetry does give us some kind of special propositional knowledge. I'm, I, I'm certainly not willing to rule that out, but if poetry does tell us facts about the world and explain facts about the world, I don't think it does so in the same way that science does. I mean, obviously... Poetry and science are different, obviously. Well, thanks for that concession. Uh, it seems to me that, that this whole business of trying to find out what, what, what poetry teaches us, what the knowledge it produces is, is at odds with the whole point of poetry, which is not to state facts, to describe things, to explain things, but to use language as in, in a creative and imaginative way to express thoughts, feelings, and impressions. Look, but, but I, I, I think you're making a, a, a decent point, but I think we've left something out. There, there's another kind of knowledge that philosophers love to talk about, and we haven't even mentioned it yet, and that's knowing what it's like to have a particular kind of experience. I mean, you remember that famous paper of Tom Nagel's. It's called What It's Like to Be a Bat, uh, where, in which he argues that subjective experience, the subjective experience of something like being a bat with echolocation cannot be reduced to objective facts. You can learn all the science of bathood that you want, and you would still wouldn't know what it's like to be a bat. So maybe poetry gives us a way of knowing what it's like, something that science can't do. Well, now I think you're kind of going down a more promising track, Ken. Maybe poetry can express some truths about what it's like to be a bat or to be a much different kind of person than we are in a way that, that science can't, because poetry does deal with subjectivity, with impressions, and science really isn't in that business. So that's an, an interesting idea. We ought to dig into it deeper. Yeah, and I think there are lots of interesting questions here, John. I mean, the first question we should probably ask is, exactly what is poetry anyway? And as you say, what do we mean when we describe poetry as a way of knowing? Does it or does it not teach us facts? Does it or does it not explain things? Or does it just provide us kind of skills? Does it help us know what subjectivity is like? Maybe it does all or some or none of the above. Interesting questions, don't you think? Well, we've been contrasting science and poetry. Maybe it would be interesting to know what science can tell us about poetry. And our roving philosophical reporter, Caitlin Ash, went out and found out what the answer to that question is. Poetry can be used in some surprising ways. Here's a poem called The Phoenix by a woman named Lucille. The Phoenix. When we find ourselves broken, we must get up and fix it. It is not easy either. It is difficult. Like the Phoenix, you must rise again. Lucille is a traumatic brain injury patient at the Northeast Center for Special Care in Lake Katrine, New York, where poetry is used to rehabilitate. Jerry Brooks is the director for brain injury programs. Virtually anything that can engage the mind and can exercise it and uh, cause a person to have to use their creativity, have to use their attention, and use their thinking and use movement uh, can be used as a kind of therapy, and poetry is, is one of those, of course. Brooks says poetry allows his patients to express themselves in ways they may never be able to articulate otherwise. Poetry is also used by a group of researchers in England on prisoners and people with dementia, and soon they hope to use it on people suffering from depression. One of our uh, ambitions there is to help momentarily bring uh, people back to life 
uh, by the reading of poetry, by something that stirs memories, excites the brain, surprises you uh, back into a lively existence. Philip Davis is a literature professor at the University of Liverpool in England. He's also the director of the Centre for Research into Reading. It was about five years ago when Davis had an idea. I knocked on the door of a neuroscientist in the University of Liverpool and put to him my hypothesis, which was this, that the shape of the syntax, of the sentences, of the lines in front of your eyes when you read poetry may have an effect on the shape of the pathways of the brain behind your eyes and change those pathways in relation to what you are seeing or hearing. Davis thought the specific arrangement of words had an impact on brain activity, so he decided to test the idea with Shakespeare. I want you to pretend that um, uh, you're in uh, this experiment and you have on your head all those electrodes as we begin to try to measure the electrical charge that takes place. Davis then reads four lines that are all the same but for the last word. The line is from King Lear, and it's about an old man who's been treated badly by his children. So an outraged observer says, A father and a gracious aged man, him have you treated very badly. He doesn't actually say treated very badly, but that's the sort of phrase that I'm going to offer you alternatives for. A father and a gracious aged man, him have you treated very badly. Davis repeats the lines, each ending with a different word, like him have you charcoaled, or enraged, or matted. That last word is the one Shakespeare actually used, and it's also the word that causes a spike in brain activity. Because unlike charcoaled, matted makes sense, but it's not the simplest choice, like enraged. Davis says, our brains like unexpected words, and yet we tend to repeat the same phrases. By overusing cliches, our brains become less stimulated. They become a little deadened. But I'm glad you said this thing about deadened, because this is about keeping the brain and the mind alive. One of our problems is that we have ready-made opinions, we have ready-made agendas, and if we're not careful, we will get in our brains rigidified pathways. In other words, good poetry is also good for your brain. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Caitlin Esch. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.